0: Los Angeles is a megacity in a state of perpetual change, where long-standing neighborhoods are rebranded with new names, and history can be obscured with a new building or freeway. Hello, I'm radio producer Ruxandra Guiri,
1: and I'm Bear Guerra, a photographer. And this is South of Fletcher, stories from the Bowtie. We live here in LA. We're married, and we've been creating audio and photo documentaries together for 13 years. We've partnered with the arts organization Clock Shop to tell a story of urban development, to try to make sense of life in this fast-paced and forever-changing city. This is a story about a quiet sliver of LA not many people know about, the Bowtie Parcel, a narrow, 18-acre plot of land next to the Los Angeles River, an empty lot that's full of history and possibility.
0: And now here's chapter four, open space for everyone. Eric Kenyon-White is taking us to the very edge of the bow Tie, where the dirt and asphalt end, and the bank of the LA River Channel begins to drop until it reaches the water. When I first came
2: to know the Bowtie because I came out here to visit a friend on the river a few years ago, and I noticed that the slope of the LA River here and the slope of other reservoirs in this neighborhood look like a gigantic skateboard ramp.
0: Eric is in his mid-fifties, and he loves speed. He always has. When he was a kid, he would go big mountain skiing with his parents. And even now, he's constantly moving, riding his bike along the river, or rolling around the bow tie on a skateboard. He likes to skate on the embankment of the river, a steep slope made of cement. It's not a place I would expect to find anybody skating in. It looks dangerous, and he could tumble it into the water.
2: It takes a lot of guts to go straight down it. It's really very hard to do without crashing because it's not long enough. But to go sideways on it is a long, very refreshing amount of nice, smooth cement, as long as you avoid the glass and the rocks.
0: It's been almost 40 years since the bow tie was a working rail yard, and it will be about a decade more before it's a state park. In the meantime, this parcel's being put to use in other innovative ways. Eric jumps on and off his skateboard. I keep expecting him to fall flat on his face, but he doesn't. Mikey's here with us too, a tall, thin guy in his late 20s who loves graffiti. And the two of them are playing around like kids, racing each other, carving back and forth on the bank, trying not to run into small rocks. They're part of a community of people most of them men who are in and out of homelessness living in tents and makeshift structures near the bow tie and along the river mikey's fairly new to the community and eric's been out here for about three years but some have called the la river Bank home for a decade or more
2: i call them the elders statesmen they all know each other they all have a little bit of a life on the, in the real world but most of them have given up on the real world and Mostly live in the river. So, even though they're living um, kind of what seems like an uncivilized life in the river, they all have a, a persona in the real world.
0: The real world, as Eric calls it, represents life in a chaotic, huge, and expensive city like Los Angeles, with its fast pace and traffic, demanding jobs, and high cost of living. And according to Eric, you've got to develop a persona someone other than your real self to survive in this city. But here, around the Bowtie and the LA River, Eric and Mikey and the elder statesmen can withdraw. They can create an alternate lifestyle. They can just be themselves, living simply and with fewer possessions, relying more on one another, spending a lot of time in the outdoors. But it's not like every one of them has chosen to give up on the real world.
3: Growing up, I had a lot of shit that I had to put up with and deal with and take care of.
0: Mikey grew up an orphan, living at his aunt's house near here. Not in the pocket, the five blocks that butt up against the bow tie, but very close to it. Around 10 years ago, when he was still in high school, he and his brother would ditch class sometimes and wander around. That's how he first discovered the bow tie. The empty space was appealing.
3: And now, like, a lot of, a lot of that waste kind of come off. And, like, I found this place over here. and the space actually has been, like, uh, it's comfortable, you know?
0: When he's not picking up shifts at restaurants or in the fields as part of a temporary harvesting crew, Mikey is somewhere between his aunt's house and the bow tie, painting. On canvas, but also on the old rail yard ruins and bridges along the l.a river this summer mikey took us along for a bow tie graffiti tour
3: under this bridge those the big ones those things used to be filled like the whole thing from wall to, from side to side like big old paintings you'll see some like some famous people some not really known people that would be there doing their stuff there but I'm gonna say like six years ago they started just buffing all that out
0: City workers regularly come around here and cover up the graffiti with beige or gray colored paint, which creates a new clean canvas that gets decorated with colorful spray paint within days before eventually getting buffed again and so on. The street artists and city workers locked in a ridiculous game of paint dominance. We're walking away from the bridge, about a quarter mile from the bow tie, where the big wall stays mostly gray these days. The city workers are winning here. But along the path that cuts through the middle of the bow tie, there's graffiti everywhere we look. On the asphalt floor, on light poles, and even on a few tree trunks. We can see Mikey's tag on a cargo container. It's made up of the letters M, Y, and an upright vintage looking key. Get it? My key.
3: These over there on the pillars, the last one,
0: Another conspicuous tag at the bow tie simply reads Thor. T-H-O-R.
3: Like what are those? Uh... That's the Thor from this side. That right there is my homie. I've known him since, like, since he was in middle school. He's like two years younger
0: than me. A lot of the graffiti shows up in clusters, almost one tag on top of another, to the point that they look like an abstract painting. It's as if these were designated graffiti areas.
1: So the fact that someone tags right here, just chooses this spot for whatever reason, uh-huh. does that then invite someone from another crew to come and also put their tag there?
3: Oh, what we call that is just a spot jacker, like someone just trying to copy your wall. Someone's just trying to catch a spot next to you, so.
0: But that's kind of lame, a spot jacker.
3: Yeah, that's why it's called a spot jacker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so spot jacking isn't cool. But it's how graffiti artists compete with each other. Your tag better be pretty eye-catching if it's going to crowd someone else's space. Oh, wait, I wanted to ask you
1: about some of these. So these are like stuff I've always noticed. I'm sure people do it a lot here because hanging out in this spot. But like, do you know any of these folks? Freedom, JR. Someone did this skull and crossbones. Rascals. Fuck noodles.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't already I talk to the people from the hoods, you know. Oh, I do, but I don't like, you know. I don't know who goes out and does the tagging shit. Do you think some of those are like? Those are just gangs. Gangs. The, the yeah.
0: Some of the graffiti we see at the Bow Tie does come from the gangs, which is what we were told by the people who live in the pocket, the neighborhood next door to the Bow Tie. Mikey and Eric are not affiliated with gangs, and they stay away from them in the Bow Tie. The homeless men we met, who live and hang out here, are actually pretty supportive of each other. Sometimes I'm
4: uh, not alone because uh, you meet all kinds of people out here too, and um, you get to share like experiences and stuff like that. And um, yeah, there's there's some partying going on too. It's, like, it's a fun place to be.
0: Sergio Herrera has been homeless for almost two years.
4: I mean, out here at night, it, it could be scary, and it, but once you get used to it, like I don't know, it like reminds me, like like sometimes we do walk through darkness. You now we have to we have to find our way out. All these bushes at night you turn into some, something else sometimes, and then you got the little critters going sh- sh- running here and there, and then like you know all these little sounds you you hear at night, <laughs> and you know it, it's always scary because we are in L.A. and and we got all kinds of different people out here. So it is. It is a bit scary at night.
1: Do you feel a little safer being part of a community?
4: Yes. Sure. Yes, I, I. do. I do feel safer because at least you got um, other people watching, watching on uh, your um, your stuff or your, your your little tent or whatever where you're staying. It's like a little community that, that watches over each other.
0: Sergio says he abides by the unspoken rules of living in this community like don't burn anybody, don't go into other people's spaces without their permission, and stay at peace with your neighbors. But the reality of living on the streets means having to set up camp in different places, staying away from the cops, or going back to the so-called real world for stretches of time. Over the last few months, we met with Sergio three or four times, but then, we lost touch with him. And so did Mikey for a while. And Sergio, how's he doing?
3: He's doing all right, too. I've seen him a few times. i seen him passing by my brother's pad one day, and he was telling me he, he went to go live with his parents, but I don't know what happened right there, but he's back over here. Mm. But I don't know, I hope he's doing better, though, because I know he's smart. He's not like a kind of guy to be going and doing dumb things, you know, but yeah. Um, I hope everything is better for him, you know?
0: It turned out Sergio is doing okay, though still on the street and unable to get a job or make amends with his wife. He still struggles with untreated depression and surrounds himself with people hooked on drugs or too much booze. So Sergio is no longer camping out at the edge of the bowtie. Neither are many of the other men we met. Eric, Mikey, and a guy named Catman had to move.
5: Take one.
1: Here we go. Why don't we start it, uh, first just give me your name and... I'm just gonna give you my first name. That's cool. And you can give us your uh, nickname if you want. Yes. And uh, tell, tell me where we are also right now.
5: My name is Troy, I am the Catman, and we are directly next to the LA River. And we used to live underneath the bridge, and they moved us from there to here with no notice, gave us 20 minutes to move our stuff. And I lost a lot of stuff at that time that cannot be replaced.
0: Catman and Eric had been living under a bridge on the edge of the bow tie. Now Catman's camped out about 50 feet further north along the river. Catman was in his tent with his four cats this past spring when a cleanup crew contracted by Los Angeles County showed up again. A couple of police officers and social workers came along too. They told everyone to clear the area and promised them vouchers they could use at a hotel for a few nights. But after that, they were on their own.
5: They came by and told us that I have to have my tent down between 6 a.m. and uh, 9 p.m., seven days a week.
0: So, whatever happened to all these promises of like vouchers and I mean, I know that's not some solution. It was
5: a pipe dream. They said this, and they, 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 you see what they did to the one tent? They sliced it all up. They cut mine in half with a machete.
0: So, Catman had to get a new tent, new cooking pans and utensils, and food. We bought him a new tent, and also gave him some of our old stuff. And he also paid for some things with the change he earned panhandling by the nearby freeway overpass. It's not the first time this has happened to him, He's been living along the LA River for years, wishing he could just camp in the bow tie without fear of eviction.
1: How do you feel as a person who is experiencing homelessness about the fact that there's this big open space right here? Do you feel like you guys should have, uh, be Ac- able to camp there?
5: Have access, have access to it? And to camp there, yes. That's a better use of it If they were to put portable toilets and at least one running faucet for people to get water and have it administered by LAPD to make sure that there's no drugs, there's no fighting, there's no illicit sex, if that could be turned into a temporary homeless camp until they figure out what they're going to do with it.
0: In this way, Catman says, all the homeless folks would be in one place instead of scattered about. But in L.A., homelessness is bigger than the bowtie. It's estimated that 60,000 people are homeless in Los Angeles County. There's no way the bowtie could house such a huge population, which is probably why long-term camping is forbidden here. California State Parks owns the bow tie, and they say they don't have the workers or funding to provide services to homeless folks, or to put out accidental fires. That said, they also don't have the resources to enforce these rules 24-7. Still, Katman thinks the bow tie could be part of the solution to local homelessness.
5: General relief through the, well, through the DPSS, Department of Public Social Services, the welfare system, only gives you $221 per month and $159 in food stamps. Now, $50 of that could be used for a demarcated space 16 feet between one line and the next by seven feet between one line and the next that's a box you put your tent there you clean your area per day pack out your trash per day that would take care of the homeless problem and put money into The city's coffers.
0: But Catman's idea has gone nowhere. He hasn't pitched it to anyone besides us and his friends. These days, he's still living along the LA River, trying to stay off the cops' radar. He's had to move seven times since we first met him a year ago. There's one elder statesman who lived out here for years before the cleanup crew came around, someone we'd been hoping to interview for a long time. His name is Jose Carlos, and he's from Guatemala. He's also undocumented and afraid of being deported, so he kept to himself. Early each morning, he'd walk around the neighborhood surrounding the bow tie with a supermarket cart and fill it up with recyclables, glass and cans and plastic, which he'd bring to a recycling center for money. And by the afternoon, he'd come back to a little makeshift home inside the base of an abandoned utility tower that stands on the edge of the bow tie, right at the top of the LA River Channel. But this past April, on the same day that Catman's tent was destroyed, Jose Carlos's home was destroyed too. I saw the handmade wooden door he'd rigged up for his tower home, swinging back and forth in the wind. And I decided to go inside. He's got a little makeshift kitchen over in on one corner with some pots and pans and cups. I mean, it's barely big enough to fit uh, a twin bed. It's about twice the size of a twin bed. It really breaks my heart to see that this man lived here for so long by himself. And that just overnight, he's out of here. And I can't imagine that he's been able to, like pick up his belongings and bring them with him or, you know, this has been his home. No one seemed to know where Jose Carlos had gone. Part of me worried he'd wound up in immigration detention or completely destitute. A couple of days later, we heard that he'd set up a tent not too far from where Catman now camped, up the river. He was probably too afraid to go back to salvage his stuff in his old tower home. Mikey, like Catman, wishes the empty and open bow tie could become a permanent refuge for folks like them.
3: I'm not saying, oh, I want I want to make it okay for like homeless people to live here because you know obviously it's a problem, you know, for the city and for themselves, you know. But like in a way, for making it like is one of the reasons homeless people come here too. Like, I'm gonna just be honest, a lot of people do drugs, you know can't be drinking out in public either you know people like to come out here and take you have a beer and i'm not saying oh a place where people could go and do their shit. obviously we don't want that but a place for well it's all right you know it's not a, not that it's all right but there, there's a certain level to it you know
0: that's exactly but what like our a project's pe- about Mikey, yeah it's about this place as a space an open space for everybody mm-hmm. so whether it's like you want to work out like a woman that we know from <laughs> this right there she comes here to work or if you want to drink in peace, this Mm. is your spot, or if you need to come out, or whatever. The bowtie has become that open, unpoliced space for some, but this is temporary. In the not too distant future, once the site is cleaned up and landscaped, that might change.
3: It's one of those places in LA that are, are probably going to disappear. And it sucks because it's like one of the, one of the few places, I'm not going to say the last place, it's one of the few places in L.A. that are probably like this that where it's like, like it's, it's peaceful.
0: He's hopeful, though. Maybe the bow tie will be the kind of park that not only tolerates, but embraces graffiti. The kind of open space that will retain its urban grittiness. And maybe even a space where homeless people can hang out in without being frowned upon next on South of Fletcher's Stories from the Bowtie a bonus episode Long Live Ryan that's out in one week this series is produced by Clock Shop and Phonografia Collective our editor is Ibi Caputo music is from Luis Guerra funding comes from California Humanities the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Wilhelm Family Foundation. For more information and to see Bear's photos, visit clockshop.org. I'm Bruxandra Guidi. Thanks for listening.